Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty, as always. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And today is the book episode. I feel like it's going to be long like the sports episode was, despite the fact that I tried to keep to just the major news. The problem is it's also the last Thursday in May when this episode comes out, which means I have to discuss June book releases. Boy, we did some great planning on when my mom came for vacation, didn't we? Oh, and when I say planning, the not planning that we had because she was just like, I'm coming. Yeah, I think we'll be all right, though. LeVar Burton is launching his own book club with a new social reading app called Fable. The app's aim is to encourage everyone to read, even if it's only for a few minutes a day. Interesting. It has reading clubs featuring all sorts of well-known people, a section for communicating with other app users, and even includes a bookstore where you can pick up a copy of a book for the book clubs that you join. It's been 40 years since Burton has hosted Reading Rainbow, and four years since starting his podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. Is it just him reading books? I don't think so. Okay. The first three books in his book club will be Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, and The Fire This Time, edited by Jessmine Ward. Burton said, I'm going to begin with who I am in my story as a reader. After the group finishes these three books for the book club, Burton will announce the next three books being read. Interesting. I think so. I don't know that I necessarily like the Fable app based on what I've seen in my research. I feel like you could get just as much out of a Discord or something like that. But I like the idea of trying to get other people to read than just the people who are already reading. Right. And it seems to have a celebrity element that you don't necessarily have in other sites. So you can create like your own book clubs in it? I know that there are celebrity book clubs. I don't think that any user can create a book club based on what I was looking at, but I I never downloaded that. So like, that's just what I saw on their website. For all I know, there's an option in the app. Well, I can tell you the first thing it does is force you to select how much time you want to read a day, which is kind of interesting. Well, like I said, it's trying to get you to read at least a couple minutes a day. Which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's kind of a cool creation. It's just... Weird, nonetheless. And it looks like vampires are officially back because Netflix is set to adapt Raymond A. Villarreal's novel, A People's History of Vampire Uprising. The book begins when a dead body is found in Arizona and somehow goes missing, which implies that this person may be patient zero. In this oral retelling, vampirism is a pandemic that is spreading across the globe at a rapid rate. Right. Some are more than willing to transform, and they are called gloamings, while others aren't. Eventually, a gloaming decides to run for office, and I guess it goes from there. The story is told through multiple POVs as the globe changes and all of this impacts the world. Travis Knight is set to lead the adaptation efforts, while Sean Levy and Dan Cohen will produce. There's currently no other information about the adaptation at this time. Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like an interesting book, but I guess it just depends on how it's written, whether I'd be into it or not. 
Yeah. Vampires are trending again back into books and they're mm. trending again back into TV shows. So I think you just have to accept that vampires are back. Uh, as long as they're not sparkly vampires, I'll be okay. The thing with this resurgence of vampires that I've seen, they've been less of the like romantic version of vampires and more along the lines of we're creepy monsters who are out to get you. Because, like, my, fa- my honestly, my favorite rendition is, like, Nosferatu. So, like, super dark, creepy, like, haunt your dream type vampire. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me and I'm the opposite spectrum of Twilight. I, f- I feel like most people would prefer Nosferatu over Twilight. So you're not as alone as you think you are. That's good. Maybe something you'll be more excited about, possibly. There is now a book about the Marvel Studios... That's going to be coming out. Publishing through Abram Books, the story of Marvel Studios is set to release on October 19th and is available for pre-order now. It is perfect for the Marvel fans in your life, as the story of Marvel Studios is the first and only fully authorized book detailing the development and filming of the 23 Infinity Saga movies. Written by... Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. The book will cover the MCU film history from its origins, phases one, two, and three. Bennett and Terry conducted over 200 interviews with the cast, crew, producers, writers, directors, concept artists, visual effects artists, costume designers, and composers throughout the 10 years of filming. It's going to be a chunky book if that's the case. Technically, it's two books, but they're sold as like one set. Got it. Two chunky books as one chunky, chunky book. Yep. Yeah. The book's forward is written by the president of Marvel Studios and chief creative officer of Marvel, Kevin Feige. The afterword is written by everyone's favorite, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. As a person, I feel like most people like him. I could take it or leave it. Yeah. I prefer him over some of the other Marvel actors. Oh, Yeah. But if you know a Marvel fanboy or girl in your life, this is a good Christmas present. Yeah. Get on it. But the last major piece of news to come out over the past two weeks, because I did try to narrow it down to just the major stuff happening, is something that I want to preface with the fact that, according to sources at The Hollywood Reporter, J.K. Rowling is not directly involved with these projects I'm going to discuss. So while it's Harry Potter related, it is not J.K. Rowling related. Instead, they worked with her team to make sure they got information correct and art correct for what this is. But she'd still be making money from the rights of it, I would imagine. I assume so. But let's get into it. Here we go. There are now two new Harry Potter specials that are being released this fall in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the first film. It's been that long already. Wow. I didn't even think that, but that makes sense. Don't you feel old? A little bit. On November 16th, 2021, it will be the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone being released in the U.S. In honor of that, Warner Media will air two new unscripted Harry Potter specials later this year on HBO Max, Cartoon Network, and TBS. The first special will be a competition show featuring four one-hour-long challenges that quiz contestants on various Harry Potter-related trivia. Which I know you'll be recording. And casting for the show is currently open and applications are available to U.S. citizens, which I think limits it a lot, and that's a mistake. Because Harry Potter is a worldwide phenomenon, not just a U.S.-based one. Also, it's not set in the U.S. either, so there's that. 
More information about that show and applications for the show can be found on the Wizarding World's website for any U.S. citizens 18 and older. So I should enter you is what I'm hearing. Absolutely not. Fans at home will also be able to participate with a play-along feature. And then a retrospective special will also air following the competition show. There are special guests who are scheduled to appear during both specials. And the specific dates for the specials have not yet been announced. But the format has, so it'll take place during, like, Monday through Friday. So Monday through Thursday is going to be the one-hour-long four episodes of the quiz show, basically. And then the retrospective special will happen on Friday. Got it. I think that's interesting, and I think I'm down to watch it. I absolutely would not apply for the show. You'd be so good at it, though. Here's the thing. If it was related to Harry Potter books one through seven, I would be great at that. When it goes into the even crazier Wizarding if, World if nonsense? If it goes into the other Wizarding World stuff, I wouldn't know anything. And I'd be knocked out real fast. I could see that. Well, and like, to me, after book seven is when she got really sloppy in her writing, in her personal life, in her social media stuff. So it's like, how about we don't? Right. So I have never read anything else from J.K. Rowling besides the Harry Potter books and like Quidditch Through the Ages, Tales of Beetle the Bard, stuff like that, like in-world Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. But that being said, I can understand that some people will want nothing to do with this and that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah. Just because it's a lot of crap to have to deal with if you've been a Harry Potter fan. I can definitely understand how that could be the case. But that was all of the major news. Like I said, I tried to keep it short because I'm also discussing new releases and a lot of other stuff in the episode. So for the June releases, I've only read two of these, which is a surprisingly low number compared to the last couple months. But the first one was The Shadows of London by Nick Jones. This is the second book in the Joseph Bridgman series, and it comes out on June 1st. Like I said, I read it on NetGalley. I rated it three stars. Like, it's not a bad book, but it didn't particularly blow my mind away. It's about a time traveler and antique seller named Joseph Bridgman. In the first book, he's gone back and fixed the biggest regret of his life, which is when his little sister went missing when they went to a carnival together. And in this book, now that everything is as he thinks it should be, since he saved his sister in the first one, there's a new challenge that presents itself in the form of a secret organization of time travelers who blackmail him into doing their bidding. Interesting. I will talk about this later, but I just, I think it didn't go where I expected it to based on that synopsis. So I was a little let down, and I think that's why the three-star rating happened. Yeah. I'll discuss that later. Another book coming out on June 1st is Ace of Spades by Farida Abik Ayamid, I think is how you pronounce her name. This seems to be a thriller that has some pretty little liar vibes. So in a private school for the richest of the rich, secrets start coming to light that could tear the school apart. It's like the basic synopsis that I found for it. I kind of always like stuff that's like rich people behaving badly. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of privilege that has to be discussed there as well. And then some of the characters based on the 
cover for the book look to be people of color. And so I'm really hoping those aren't the people that end up getting murdered because like it's a common trope in thrillers and horrors and stuff like that, that the black person dies first. Oh yeah. So I'm really hoping that's not what happens there. But yeah. I do like rich people behaving badly. Like, so much to the point that, like, the movies that were, like, satire of horror films, like Scary Movie, yeah. always made fun of the fact that the African-American person is usually the one that dies first. For God knows what reason. Like, right. there's none. There's literally no reason. And they make fun of it all the time. I can kind of understand that. Hoping that's not the case. Yeah. I think this would be a good book to read during the fall. So if I do end up reading it, it'll be then. I'm not going to... Pick it up in the middle of summer, I think. Got it. And another one coming out on June 1st is Instructions for Dancing by Nicola Yoon. So basically the opposite end of the spectrum with a romance (laughs) here. So this also is sort of speculative fiction because it's about a girl who starts having visions of how couples get together and break up. And that's when she starts losing her faith in love and... At this dance competition that she goes to, there's a mysterious boy that might be able to, like, change her feelings about romance. Okay. So there's this, like, fantasy element, sort of, but it's in our world, so urban fantasy almost. But it's more, like, speculative fiction, really, than a fantasy, since she's the only one having these things happen. Right. And one that I think a lot of people are looking forward to, but I'm not looking forward to it in particular, is... One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. She is the author who wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, which was a male-male romance that came out that was really popular. It was hugely popular. And you couldn't go on the book parts of the internet without seeing it everywhere for a while. So I know everyone's looking forward to this new one from her. It's coming out on June 1st. It's about a cynical 23-year-old who expects moving to New York to prove that love and magic are just fairy tales, but then she meets a gorgeous girl on a train who might just prove her wrong. Problem is, she doesn't just look like an old-school punk rocker. She is one. Stuck in this New York City subway car from the 1970s. So it's like a time travel element in this one. And I don't think she used any sort of like magical or fantastical elements in Red, White, and Royal Blue. I think that's going to be the thing that people are going to be like hit or miss with. They're going to love her. They're going to hate it. Depending on if they liked the first one and then if it's done well or not. Right. And another one coming out on June 1st that I know a lot of people are looking forward to is Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's a really popular contemporary author. And it looks like this book is sort of like a prequel to other books that she's written based on my understanding. But I have absolutely never read a Taylor Jenkins Reid, so please correct me if I am wrong. You can't because you don't know. I was going to say, you're looking at the wrong person right now. (laughs) Anyone else who is listening who might know more than me, correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously not the man sitting next to me because he has no (laughs) clue. read no books, hardly at all. But this occurs over the course of one end of the summer party. The children of legendary singer McRiva. You're going to say McRiva. I'm like, oh yeah, McRib season. (laughs) Are looking forward to having the night of their lives. But all of that changes over the course of the night when things go awry and the house ends up in flames. And that's all the synopsis I really wanted to read for that. 
It seems like this could be a continuation of Daisy Jones and the Six because I think the character Mick is a character in Daisy Jones and the Six. I could be completely wrong on that front, but I'm not sure. I like, I like the idea of this story, but I don't know if I'd actually like the story because it's like I know where the story ends, but how did we get here? And like all those questioning moments throughout the book are what I kind of enjoy. Yeah. But the other one that I've already read is Plot Twist by Bethany Turner. This one releases on June 15th. I read it as a NetGalley arc while we were gone, and I ended up rating it 4.25 stars. It's a contemporary slash romance novel, so like, for me, a 4.25 is really good for a romance. I'll say that's not bad for you. This romance opens up when a screenwriter and an actor meet at a coffee shop and agree to meet up again in 10 years when they fully honed their craft to create a movie together. But a lot can change over the course of a decade. Dun, dun, dun. Not really that dark, though. I was going to say, I'm like, is it really a dun-dun-dun moment? It's not. But I will say that at the beginning of the novel, I spent a lot of time wondering how we're going to see the other perspective because it's told in the screenwriter's perspective and I really expected it to go over to the actor's perspective. Like we would get like halfway through the book and get to like right before they're supposed to meet up from her perspective and then switch over to his and then tell the 10 years from his perspective and then the meetup would happen. But that's really not what happened. And I think that was just like me trying to figure out how the story is gonna be told while I was reading the book. And so that's not really the fault of the book. That's my brain. Yeah, I'd almost prefer it in a style where it would kind of go back and forth maybe a little bit, like leading you up to like the character development side of it, but. I will say that the author chose the right way to tell the story for what it ends up being, but while you're reading it, you kind of do have questions about the actor's perspective and side of things. Yeah. But for what the story ends up being, that was definitely the right way to tell it. And then probably the one that I am most excited to read coming out in June is The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson. And writing up the notes for this was when I realized I never actually read the synopsis for this. I just pre-ordered it. So, like, (laughs) my bad. It is book number four in the Truly Devious series, and it comes out on June 15th. After solving the Truly Devious case at Ellingham Academy, Stevie Bell is set to have the most boring summer up until the director of Sunny Pines Camp asks her to work with him on the unsolved case from the 1970s that happened there. So it's another unsolved case for... Stevie Bell to get to the bottom of. And I actually think that made me more excited to read it than I already was because I knew she was going to go to a summer camp and I couldn't figure out like how a murder thing was going to happen. Like, was it suddenly going to become a horror book instead of a mystery like the first three books were? Right. But no, it's about the same. Good. So I'm even more excited. And one that I'm just now starting to hear people talk about also coming out on June 15th is For the Wolf by Hannah Witten. It is the first book in a new series called The Wilder Wood. It is a dark fantasy novel about a young woman who must be sacrificed to the legendary Wolf of the Wood to save her kingdom. But not all legends are true, and the wolf isn't the only danger lurking in the Wilder Wood. That's more of a dun-dun-dun yes. thing situation for sure. <laughs> Definitely more than that romance. Yes. 
It sounds really good. I'm really surprised I'm only now starting to hear people talk about this because it seems like the kind of thing that, if done well, could become one of, like, the booktube darlings or whatever. Yeah, it could be very quickly somebody's favorite, favorite book. And so now that's on my list of books I want to get, but I haven't pre-ordered it, so I can't just go out and buy it immediately. Why not? Because I've technically instated a semi-book buying ban. If it doesn't meet one of my goals or it hasn't already been pre-ordered, it can't be purchased. Is it beyond the pre-orderable date at this point? No, you can pre-order up until like the day before, I think, most of the time. Hmm. That's just my rule because my brain's dumb. I wouldn't say your brain's dumb, it's just mean sometimes. Yeah. And then one book that I have pre-ordered is Witch Shadow by Susan Dennard. It is the fourth book in the Witchland series, and it comes out on June 22nd. So it's hard to discuss because it is the fourth one in a series, and it's not starting like a new arc the way the new Truly Devious is. But basically, the continuation of the series follows Isult as she tries to find a way to save herself and her homeland from the oncoming war. Sounds good. It's basically, in this series, you've mainly followed one character in particular, and that is sort of reflected in the title of the book. So Truth Witch was about Safi, who's a Truth Witch. Wind Witch was mostly about Merrick, who is a A Wind Wind Witch. Witch. Go figure. And then Blood Witch was mostly about Aduan, who is a Blood Blood Witch. Witch. Wow. But Witch Shadow is going to be about Isult. And I think it's interesting that the format of how the title is has changed because Isult's magic has always sort of been questionable. So I think it's interesting that it's called Witch Shadow. It's going to be about being a shadow witch. I mean, you're saying that as a joke, but like that's kind of possible. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm just wondering if they're going to do a sand witch. <laughs> it made you you're laugh. So yes. Dumb. You're so dumb. I love you so much. <laughs> oh, God. And then the last one I have listed here is one that is actually starting to get bad early reviews, so I don't know how people are going to enjoy it. But this is Survive the Night by Riley Sager. It comes out on June 29th. It is set during the early 90s, and the thriller follows a girl who uses a shared ride to get back home, but the person she's sharing the ride with might be the local serial killer. So this is literally what everybody's nightmare is of ever (laughs) taking an Uber? Well, except it happens in the early 90s, so you know, they used to put a thing on the bulletin board, like, call so-and-so if you also are riding back to... such and such People place. still do that, but yeah. Less so, no. Yeah. And they've had a campus killer, so she might be riding home with him. That's exciting. I mean, I think it would make a decent movie or a show, but based on how it's written from the people I trust with their reviews of thrillers and horrors, it doesn't sound like a book I would enjoy. But it is Riley Sager, who is well known in the mystery thriller horror section. So like... You're going to love it or you're going to hate it, but most likely you're going to read it. Right. Who knows? As for what I have been reading, we've kind of already discussed a couple because they're coming out in June. The first one was The Shadows of London by Nick Jones. Book two in the Joseph Bridgman series. It's an adult sci-fi novel about a time traveler and antique stealer. My thing with this one was that it did not include the group of time travelers as much as I had anticipated. Basically, they come in, blackmail him, threaten him, and then they meet up with him once or twice throughout the rest of the book 
To follow up with to, them, basically. To just basically go, here's something you might need to help you on your mission. But, like, that's about it. And it was more about the time that he traveled to than anything else. And I feel like I didn't care enough about what happened in the past to rate this over three stars. Got it. So the author didn't make you care enough. Right. And I feel like the only way to really have done that is to have spent more time in that time frame. But based on how the time traveling works, you only have a set amount of time when you travel into the past. Got it. So there was really no way to do that unless he kept jumping back over and over and over and over again. Which would be infuriating. Which it would, but then also it creates a problem where like you're opening all these loops every time you jump back. And if you don't fully close them the right way, you mess up everything. History. Yeah. And then therefore mess up the present. So, right, right, right. I think there's supposed to be a third book in the series, and I'm open to reading it. I just, I want to see the things that have opened up for potential storylines to actually happen. Like everything with the time traveling group. There's also a storyline that at the very end of this book opened up with his sister, and I was like, excuse me? You did what now? Right. So if that actually goes where I think it should, I think I would like book three more than possibly books one and two. And then I read a novella. I read Sight Witch by Susan Dennard. It's technically book 2.5 in the Witchland series, which is an adult fantasy series. About the sandwiches. Yes. I ended up rating it four stars. So it was actually pretty good, despite the fact that it was so short. Yeah. But this technically takes place before the events of the first book, Truth Witch. But you're supposed to read it between books two and three. Otherwise, it gives away too much information about things that happen in books one and two. Got it. That's why it's technically book 2.5. It's weird. But this one tells the story of a sight witch sister at a convent who is the only one left without the sight, which is the ability to basically see into the future. Yep. It was good. I think I could have done with, like I said, a longer book, but I also feel like it did a really good job with introducing the magic at the convent without like beating you over the head with it. So that was nice. I also finished up my reread of the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. I read The Hand on the Wall, which is book number three and the last book that's been released so far. It is a YA mystery series. I rated it 4.5 stars. It's the conclusion to the Ellingham Academy mystery and the murders that have taken place there recently. We watch as Stevie Bell finds a connection between the old mystery and the new murders. Got it. Kind of setting up the next book a little bit. No, not really. It's wrapped everything up with the Ellingham Academy stuff, and I don't see how that would be setting up anything else. Got it. Following that, I read another NetGalley book. I read Plot Twist by Bethany Turner, the adult contemporary romance. I rated that 4.25, like I said earlier. I think it went in a direction that I wasn't expecting the story to go into, but I liked where the story ended up by the end of the book. So I think as long as you go into this one willing to like go on the ride that the author takes you on, you're going to have less problems with it than I did. Okay. But at the same time, I still rated it as a contemporary over four stars. So, Which is unheard of. It's like a world record. 
I don't think it's a world record, but it definitely means it was still good. Yeah. And then this next one we'll talk about more towards the end because I read War Cross by Marie Lou. Technically, it's a reread for me. I read it because you are currently reading it for the podcast. It is book number one in the War Cross series. I listed it as a YA science fiction duology. So... Yeah, it's pretty fitting. I, I think that works. Like, upper YA, I think. Yeah, definitely a little higher up. And then, as well, too, I I feel like there's some kind of realism to it, just because, like, it is taking place in the real world. It's just... But the science-y stuff isn't there yet, which yeah. is why it's science fiction. Right. Yeah. This one, I originally rated 3.75 stars. I think I want to keep that rating, despite the fact that I think I enjoyed reading it more now than I did the first time. But I think that's about what the book deserves anyway. But it's about a hacker who accidentally glitches herself into the opening ceremony for the world-famous Warcross Games. She's expecting lawyers, jail time, press coverage. What she isn't expecting is to be hired by the creator Hideo Tanaka to find a gap in their security and fix it. But taking on this life-changing job won't be that easy. She must go undercover as a contestant for the Warcross Games. Well, that just gave a lot of spoilers about what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Because <laughs> that's, that's about as far that's as... That's as much as I can summarize. Well, and that's as uh, technically as much as we've we basically read at this point to, to an extent. And there's a little bit more, but not... I mean, you get further than that. Yeah. But we'll discuss it later. As for what I plan on reading next, I'm probably going to end up finishing like two and a half things between now and when we record again. But I plan on reading House of Dragons by Jessica Cluis. It is book number one in the House of Dragons series. And it's a 2020 release. I believe the second book just came out like a week or two ago. It's, I say, an adult fantasy series. Some of the characters in this are technically like YA age range. But also some of them are not. And... A lot of the story is too brutal to really be YA, in my opinion. But in this world, when the emperor dies, the five most prominent families must submit one of their children to the emperor trials. It is four tests that will determine who will become the new emperor and who will die. Uh, like I said earlier in the week when you started reading it, I think this book sounds pretty entertaining. Yeah, technically I've already started it, but I'll finish it this week. Right now, I want to say it's like a dialed-down version of Game of Thrones in that you have these prominent houses. They've got their own colors and They're all crest competing and for the power. They're all competing to have all the power. And they all have a specific dragon that the house has. Uh, and I know that's not very Game of Thrones, but there are dragons in Game of Thrones. I know that. Yes. And they have some fantastical, magical elements throughout the book. But I would say this is definitely not a high fantasy, which is why I think it's, like, dialed down. Yeah. And then I plan on reading something that my husband doesn't want to read and will probably make fun of me for. On the Rocks by Cat Adams. It's book number one in the Dirty Tough Female series. It's a 2020 release and an adult contemporary romance. 
A woman with a taco truck and an Australian restaurant owner find romance despite both having baggage of their own. This is a book that has come in a 10 book anthology that I bought when it was on sale for Kindle. So it was like a dollar for 10 books and they were all romance books. So I plan on reading one every once in a while. So this is the first one I'll be reading. I like that she has a taco truck. Because you like tacos? I feel like that's not a reason to choose a book. No, it's not. But I liked the synopsis for some of the other ones in this, but I couldn't just buy eight or nine out of the whole anthology. I had to buy the whole pack. Yeah. So. So taco truck it is. But the thing that I thought you would make fun of me for is that the series is called the Dirty Tough Female Series or the DTF Series. I didn't even catch that. For that first book. I don't know how I missed that, but yeah, no, I wouldn't make fun of you for that because that's inappropriate. But secondly, it's silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be like 200 pages, so it'll be a quick and easy read for me. But I do plan on reading the whole anthology, despite the fact that this isn't one of the ones that I'm like super interested in. That's good. At least you get your dollar's worth. My one dollar's worth. Yeah. But the book after that, that I think I'm going to end up reading is... Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It's a book that was really popular a couple of years ago. And then when the second one came out, it was like all the hype had died. And I don't know if it's because the first book wasn't as good as people were saying, or if it's just been too long. Got it. Or if it just didn't need to be a series and it could have ended at book one. But that's one of the books on my list of books that I have to read by the end of the year or I'm going to get rid of it because it's been sitting on my shelves for so long. I'm probably going to start that this week. I'm not going to get to the end of it. It's a pretty chunky book. Sounds like a plan. Got a lot of things to read. And you will be finishing Warcross because you read the first half of that this week. Yes, I did. And, and it's good. It starts off pretty quick and then slows down a little bit and then speeds back up again and slows down a little bit and speeds back up again. So it's it's been keeping me kind of on the edge of my seat because like I never know when something that I'm going to be excited about is going to come across the page because it's pretty good at keeping you attentive, I guess, to a sense. Definitely keeping you on your toes. Well, yeah, because it kind of has that mystery side of it a little bit. So like you, you have to pay attention because if you're not, you're going to miss something. And then when the big drop comes, you'll be like, oh, I didn't even see that coming. And that's not the way I like to read those types of books. Well, it opens up with a poor down on her luck sort of girl who is going after a bounty. Right. As a bounty hunter in like this weird digital gambling age. Yes, because the new technology is what feels like Google Glasses, but like better. A lot better. Yes. And so everything is built in this society to work around these glasses. So like you have ads on the side of buildings that you can only see through the glass and like yeah. everything's pretty virtual at this point and you can pay with like the cryptocurrency that comes with the game that comes with the glasses. It almost seems like the book that I read recently from Hank Green, like the ending of what would have happened if this would have continued going down that path. I can see that. This book definitely came out before the second Hank Green book. Well, I know, but I'm, I think it came out before the first Hank Green book. Again, I'm just stating that like it's there's similarities between them. Yes, there is. This one is definitely less US based though. 
I would say about a half of what you read in the first half, so like the first quarter of the book, mm-hmm. is still kind of in the States, but then... She goes to Japan. She goes to Japan, and it really speeds up. But no, I, I really like her character. I feel like she is kind of like that troubled child that was put in a bad situation because her family passed away while she was young. Well, her mom ditched her dad, basically, right, and then right. her dad raised her, and her dad died while she was still in high school, basically, age-wise. So She was a... Preteen when her dad died. So super young. Yeah. But the thing with Amika is that she became a hacker and she became a bounty hunter because in the foster home where she lived, she overheard Hideo Tanaka interviewed on a radio show one day. And in that interview, she realized that he's only a couple years older than her, but he's managed to like make this technology and make Warcross the game that comes with the glasses. And so if he can do that... Why can't I? Why can't Amika do something and, like, be more than what she was really striving to at that point right after her father died? Right. So Hideo almost becomes, like, this idolized figure for Amika, which kind of becomes a problem later. Well, yeah, when they meet for the first time, it's really funny and awkward. And when they talk, they're, like... Just weird, too. Well, there's definitely a power imbalance anytime they interact. Yeah. For sure. Not just because of that, but also he's a billionaire, and she was, like, negative money when they talked for the first time. Only, like, $6,000 based on what she said, but still, that's, like, that's a lot for somebody that barely has a job. When you have $6,000, that doesn't feel like a lot. When you owe $6,000, that feels like all the money in the world. Yeah. But... We really start when she's getting these notices on her door saying, rent's due, your back rent is due within 72 hours, and if you don't give it to me, I'm kicking you out. And so that's why she's trying to take down this guy, because she would have the money if she got the bounty for taking him in. But the thing is that technically someone claimed the money before she did, because of the system set in place for bounty hunters in New York at that time. Even though he, the person didn't even capture him. No. Yeah. Which is BS. But that sort of just, like, puts you in a very sympathetic position for Amika before she basically goes home to wallow for the day because she can't really do anything at that point. And it is the opening ceremony of Warcross, so everyone wants to watch. Yeah. And so while she is watching at home in her own hacked glasses, like, she's not even technically herself in Warcross when she uses these glasses because she's hijacked them. She's jailbroken them, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not tied specifically to any person's name. Right. And she uses them when she's hacking in Warcross. So while they're watching the opening ceremonies, she hijacks into the Warcross games because she's going to steal something out of the opening a, ceremony a power games up, yeah. in order to sell it illegally. To get so, the money so that she can pay her rent. Yeah. And there's a glitch in the system whenever that happens, and what ends up happening is that everyone can see her and knows exactly who it is who's hacked their way into the game. And I also believe she doesn't even make it out with a power-up. So she didn't even get anything that she could sell she makes it out but by the time she's able to check her inventory it's gone i think if i remember correctly so like she's like uh okay gone from this and then by the time she got back she's like it's 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 not there right 
So she took this ridiculous risk for nothing, basically. And so that's when she's expecting lawyers are going to get involved, police are going to get involved, that, like, she's in a lot of trouble. Right. And so she basically does what I would do, which is, I'm going to go the F to sleep and ignore this problem. Well, and she threw her phone away because she right. the phone started ringing. So she was just like, I'm not having any of this. Like, just this, tonight was too much already. This is it. You ever stress out so much you just go to sleep? No. But oh, okay. Must be nice. Yeah. That isn't a, a problem I have. I, there are times where I wish I could go to sleep when I'm stressed out, but I can't. But when she wakes up the next morning, she's just constantly gotten this one text message, like, call this number, call this number, call this number. And there are press outside her apartment building, and, like, it's even more stressful than when she went to sleep the night before. Yeah. So she calls, and they're like, please hold for Hideo. And it's like, excuse me? For who? And so their first conversation on the phone is so awkward to read and uncomfortable. Yeah, she's like, I accidentally did this. I didn't mean to do it. And right. And, like, I think it's very obvious he doesn't believe oh, her. Oh, at all. Not even in the slightest, yeah. But he basically takes care of her financial problems so that she can come interview for a job in Japan. Sounds nice. Yeah. Suddenly she goes from owing, like, back rent and $6,000 in credit card debt to having no debt. And having her rent paid for, like, what, four to six months or something like a that, year. I think is what it is? Oh, it was a year? Yeah. Okay. And so she leaves her roommate, packs up all her stuff, and... Well, packs up some of her stuff, but yeah. Well, all the important things. Her skateboard, her... Painting. Painting, her ornament, and her glasses, I think, she packs. Yeah. And... She rides in a fancy car, gets on a fancy plane. Could you imagine, though, being... Well, firstly, let's describe the the car and the plane. So the car has glass windows that can be changed to anything other than what you're seeing outside. So, like, right. just imagine being like, you know what? I want to sit on the beach and hear the waves crash instead of the bumper-to-bumper traffic that is New York mm-hmm. on the way to the airport. Like, that would be so great. It would be so relaxing. Right. Like, you would be like, oh, yes, a fireplace in a cabin in the woods, please. And it would I be don't there. know if they have it that specific at that point. I feel like you probably could figure that out because it's yeah. just virtual reality. But then she's taken to a private plane to fly to Japan. Yeah. And apparently at this point, technology has gotten so good that New York to Japan takes 10 hours. Yeah. And while she is on the plane, she's given a new set of glasses to use that she calibrates and like it changes the look of things inside the plane and... Like, the whole time she's doing this stuff, she's also earning herself all these points and, like, leveling up as she goes through all this stuff. With her hacked stuff. account, which is kind of funny. And so, I think by the time she actually physically meets Hideo, she's already gone up, like, two levels. I think she doesn't actually meet him the day that she touches down in Japan. She goes to the hotel first. Correct. And basically just crashes. Jet lag's fun. And then they go to the headquarters for the Warcross stuff. Yeah, and she ends up running into Ken, who she met on the plane via the video chat. Yes. And she could overhear Hideo in the background with Ken on that original call, so. Yes, because it looks like the new technology that she's using on the plane is more advanced than the glasses that she has or the glasses that anyone has at this point. Yeah. Because normally a video chat between two people wearing the glasses just involves them. But with these glasses, she could hear things in the background that you normally couldn't. Right. 
And it does seem the way this virtual reality works a lot like the virtual reality that is in Hank Green's books. And so, like, I feel like having reread that so recently, I feel like that... It's kind of eerie combination. Well, I feel like that helped enhance my experience reading this because, like, I understood better the, like, mind technology connection and, like, how well that could be adapted. Whereas the way it's discussed in this book is, like, your brain's the best at coming up with stuff, so we'll just use that. But, like, the way it's described in An Absolutely Remarkable Thing is so much better at sort of making it understandable, Yeah, I think. processing the information, yeah. So I think that might actually be the reason that I enjoyed this more this time around than the first time I read it. Because it's better explained. Well, because I have that understanding better from the Hank Green books. Right. But then we get to the actual meeting with Ken and Hideo and Amika and... It was really awkward, but Hideo shows Amika the contact lenses that they have instead of having to wear glasses. Yeah, which Which, would have been a real trip at that point. Which, the way it's described always struck me as a little weird because it leaves a little film over your eyes after you use them the first time despite taking the contacts out. And I'm like, do do regular contacts do that? Because that feels gross. I don't know. I've never had to use them, but I've I've heard that they can leave like kind of a slimy bit. But like, you, it's not like a a film. I don't think would be the description of it. It'd just be like. Well, and I also don't think that would be like a permanent thing. No, it'd be, it's more like I think just tears that were on your eye, like the hydration from your eyes itself. But then he also discusses with her. He has a job for her as a bounty hunter, which is very fitting with her set of skills. skills. Yeah, her job set history. Yes. Yeah. And so in order to take on this bounty hunting job, she has to become a player in the Warcross game. Right. And so she becomes wild card number 40. Last entry. Into the wild card slots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is it described again for her job? I think it's just predominantly, like, the bounty hunting side of things, but... Basically, Hideo is hiring her because she is the second person to get through the shield in Warcross that was specifically designed to keep out hackers and everything like that. And so she is being hired to find the first person, and he runs through with her what this person has done in the past, and one of the things is that made it so that the code would report data back to this zero hacker. Right. But he'd also leave just the, like, microcosm of signature in the code. Like, just so small. And so she gets hired for the job and is told that if you complete the mission, should you choose to accept it, you will get $10 million U.S. Not a bad payday. And so she enters into what they're calling the war draft. Right. As well, too, that there's multiple bounty hunters that are involved. It's not just her. So, like, it's such a big thing, like, the intrusion that they're adamant about trying to get it solved, like, ASAP. Yeah. And so she enters into the war draft in spot 40. And during the war draft, she is drafted first, which she was shocked to find. Right. By Team Phoenix Riders. But also something weird happens during the war draft, and she spots someone who's not supposed to be there, basically hiding in the rafters. Yeah. But 
she doesn't see a face or anything. She just gets, like, a photo of, like, the blob of the person. Yeah. Like, kind of almost like a quick photo just to try to grab the code lines that were created by the person being, like, digitally there, more or less. Yes. And that's when she realizes that is also zero. Yep. Kind of after the draft, you're going to get a taste of, like, how big it is to even be a member of a Warcross team as she's trying to leave and, like... All the fans are out there, like, screaming bloody murder, more or less. Well, like, that sounds more like a horror movie, but they're, like, chanting and screaming, and there are already digital pictures of her up everywhere on (laughs) buildings and stuff. It's not creepy at all, right? Oh, it's very creepy. Yeah. And other people get drafted, of course, and she ends up going back, I believe, to the house. That they're going to be training from, yep. Yes, with all the Phoenix Raiders. Oh, also, DJ Wren ends up getting drafted by the Phoenix Riders as well. That's correct. And he wasn't there at the draft because he was prepping for the party. For that party that evening, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Amika ends up meeting a drone whose job is to give everyone food and drinks all the time and learn their preferences and stuff. Wouldn't that be great to have? It'd scare the hell out of our cat. But it would, but yeah, she's giving you the side eye. Yeah. Don't you dare. But she realizes that she can hack the bot and use that to gain information on her team to sort of try to get started on her job. Which she ends up doing later on. Yes. Down the road a little bit, yeah. When she's sort of alone with... The robot? The robot called Wiki. Or Wiki? I was going to say Wiki, because it's like W-I... Or W-Y or W-I-K-K-I? W-I-K-K-I. Okay. But basically, she picks her room. She only had, like, two options. Because all the returning people had already picked before the war draft. I was under the impression she had one left just because it was, like, the girl's side of the house. But Well, that's the one she chose. I think she could have chosen DJ Ren's room. Oh, okay. But that also has crazy technology in her room, even though she's got, like, the smallest room, whatever. Yeah, the smallest room that's, like, four times the size of her whole apartment or, yeah. like, the studio that she had originally. In New York, yeah. yeah. And, like, the technology is on the walls. You can, like, project things from your glasses onto the walls. Yeah. And this whole crazy desk set up, and she's even got a swimming pool on her balcony. And it's just like, I could do that. That would be nice. Yeah, to say the least. But basically, the technology is supposed to be there so that you can have a Warcross, like, training session in any of the bedrooms. You didn't have to, like, go to the main room room to do it. And her closet is fully stocked with clothes, including Gucci, official sponsor of Warcross Championships 8. There have been some interesting, like, not subtle plugs in this (laughs) book so far a couple times, and I'm just like... That one was definitely not a subtle, like, here I am, Gucci. Oh, I know. I remember. It literally took up, like, a chunk of the page. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, Marie Lou, how much money did you get paid for that? Maybe she just got a Gucci outfit, and that's how much it's worth. Yeah. And it is at the end of that chapter that she ends up hacking into Wiki. Yeah. After putting up a bunch of shields and protections for herself. Right. But that's when they go into a nightclub to celebrate. And the nightclub is called Sound Museum Vision, which is a name. That's the translation of it. That's true. We do have to realize that she is in Japan and, like, everything is translated through her glasses. So, like, maybe it sounds better in Japanese and I don't know. Probably means something different in Japanese. Yes. 
But when they get there, everyone's dressed up. You've got all the press on the outside trying to get photos and conversations with people who are in Warcross. And you have DJ Ren, who's already there. Dropping the bass underground. We'll, we'll put it that way. Yes, yeah. it is an underground club. But basically, they confront some people from other teams. And, like, already people are trying to, like, psych each other out for the Warcross games. But You mean they're athletes, like athletes are. Athletes with air quotes around it, let's be honest. And you also have this other layer to it where Amiga is trying to, like, hack all these other people without getting caught. Yeah. While having this, like, role she's trying to play as, like, this shy it was, person. It was funny because there's a couple times in the, that club where she's just kind of oblivious to what's going on right in front of her face. Like, that's the way she comes across. Yeah. But then she's like, oh, and... <laughs> yeah. You can see her just kind of snap back to reality and then get right back to where she is. But that's when we also see that Roshan has a history with Tremaine. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting aspect that I enjoyed more this time around than the first time around. Like, there was nothing new there. I just think I enjoyed it more. Yeah. I was going to say, it seems like they went from friends to complete enemies almost to an extent. Yeah. I think it was friends to lovers to enemies. Yeah. Which is always something you enjoy watching happen. But not to yourself. And then they also run into Hideo at the club. Yeah. And, like, she's basically just questioning him about, like, did you make them pick me first? And he's like, no. I required that someone would have picked you, period. That is it. Yeah. Um, Being picked first had nothing to do with Hideo at all. Yeah. But then the next day it's back into, like, Warcross training stuff. And... I gotta say, I really actually enjoyed a lot of the Warcross stuff. Like, I know it's supposed to be about hacking and, like, all this undercover secret stuff, but, like, I actually enjoy the idea of the game of Warcross. And, like, I enjoy the training sessions that they have and, like, the beef they have with other teams and stuff. That that exists in the world right now. There is competitive gaming that exists. That is not my point. And I do not want anything to do with competitive games. And there are class-based games that are required for you to be good. Fiction. This is fiction. And yeah. this is what I like. <laughs> do not try to put me in the real world. It is kind of in the real world. The whole book, for that matter, takes pretty good place in the it. The things so. I like are fictional. Okay. Got it. But they find out that they are matching up against the Demon Brigade in the first round, which is the one that they were picking fights with in the fighting with in the club. The club, I think it's an interesting name, the Demon Brigade. Like when they got introduced in the club, and they had like the knights on the horses that were like skeletons. I yeah. thought that was super cool, but they're very Slytherin esque. But we do basically end up getting like a training montage, is what I would call it. In chapter 13. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was a lot of fun to see, like, how everything worked in Warcross and, like, all the different rules and power-ups and how all of that works. Yeah, in that training, Amika got pretty much, like, a little bit put to shame to an extent. Well, she's only a level 28 at this point. She's not, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like when... When I would play Call of Duty back in the day, like, I didn't play with my main account most of the time just because... A, I hated the fanboy, fangirl nonsense about it. And then I also hated everybody being like, oh, you're just another one of those, like, maxed out level people. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, that's great. So, like, it was nice to always play on my lower level account because people just left me alone. Yeah. 
So I kind of understand where Amika's coming from on that. But also, she's a hacker. Well, pe- people would were. accuse me of hacking because I was playing over my level right. capability. But, like, yeah, I don't know. But after the training montage, she basically goes back to her room and starts digging through all the information she's pulled from her teammates and stuff like that. And that's when she realizes that some funny stuff is going on with Ren and Ren's information. He's got it, like, super secure, like Fort Knox secure. Mm-hmm. And there's a deleted email that's hidden behind a bunch of shields that looks like a locked cube yeah. for her. And she brings it to Hideo's attention because she figures there's a chance he knows how to open it. Right, because it's got like a recurring sort of code running around. Every time you try to hack it, it becomes twice as secure, basically. Yep. So Sounds nice. I want that. Right. Need that on, like, all my social media accounts, so I stop getting logins from God knows where. But while she is going through his information, she does find out that he's been to the dark world, and no one goes there unless they're doing something illegal. Right. And there's, like, a time and a meeting place for it, too, in that email. Yeah, but at that point, you're not quite there yet. You do get there eventually, though. You do have Hideo, who explains that it's a fractal shield, and that it does multiply each time you burrow through the top layer so it makes it more secure and he basically comes out with a infinity key that is able to unlock it and that's when they get the code and get into the email which is a date and time for where to meet in the dark world mm-hmm. and this is also the chapter where you get some of the backstory for Amika because like She's had jail time, but she's, like, a good person. So, like, it's kind of confusing about why she's supposed to be, like, such a bad person in the eyes of polite society. Well, it's because she went back behind closed door stuff and released a lot of information that got a lot of people in trouble. So, like... Yeah, basically, her friend had some private photos that were shared communally throughout their school. Yeah. And she basically found out everyone who did it caused a lot of problems. They got into a lot of trouble, but she did a lot of hacking and backdoor stuff she wasn't supposed to do, which also got her in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And we learned that story in this chapter. But we also get some of Hideo's memory files as well in that chapter of him just beating the crap out of a punching bag and everyone that's in the room, which is like two security guards, a trainer, and Hideo... Just kind of look at him like he's crazy because he's just going off. Yeah, she didn't mean to get that one because the hack was just actively running in the background. Yeah. And it, she did, and it was like, whoa. Like, that explains his busted up knuckles when they met for the first time, so. Yeah. It just seems like he's got a lot of anger, and she doesn't really know why. Right. Hidden anger brings you to the dark side, so, you know, it's not a good thing to have. But then she makes it back to the house with all the other Phoenix Riders, and it's just a couple days of, like, constant training with them because she still has to do that on top of her bounty hunting job because she needs to get up to snuff for the actual games. She doesn't want to get eliminated in the very first round. That would definitely make her hacking and bounty hunting a lot harder. Well, if she's not there, yeah. Yeah. But they decide to take a day off after those three days, because they decide that if you're burnt out, you're not going to be useful to them. Which is kind of convenient, because that's the day that Ren's supposed to go to the Dark World. Yep. And you actually do get to see her go into the Dark World, which I thought it was interesting the way that it's set up. Yeah. 
I, I thought I had forgotten that part wrong, so or I'd accidentally read ahead, so I'm glad to know that I was kind of right about that one. Yeah, no, you actually get to see her go in there, and I like the way that it's set up. Like, it's obviously not the same type of virtual reality that Warcross is, or even, like, your daily life is with virtual reality elements in it. It's, like, darker and grungier. And when you go there, if I remember correctly, she goes, like, your vision goes completely black, which would be terrifying. But this is also a really scary place because if you don't protect yourself enough, all of your information gets out, and that's happened to her before. You're address your name your age phone number social security like everything is published for everyone to see and do yeah. with what they will yeah and so she's got to make sure she's protected but then she goes to the pirate den which is where the meeting is supposed to take place mm-hmm. with ren and there they've got betting for the actual war cross games they've got betting for what they're calling dark cross games so it's like war cross but like in the dark web yeah But then you also see, like, a cylinder of names, and, like, the higher up on the list it is, the more money people are willing to pay for you to assassinate whoever that is. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like this could be based off a real thing that happens in the dark world. It's like a hit list. In the dark web. Yeah. How absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And she's like, every once in a while, when the number gets high enough, an actual assassination happens. Yeah, when somebody's like, oh, that's worth it. Yeah. But then an actual Dark Cross game starts, and that's when a lot of betting starts to take place on who will win, who will lose. And Zero ends up coming to that game. Yep. And that's pretty much where you wrap up. That is about the halfway point of the book. Yep. So overall, what is your feeling of Warcross so far? I actually really like it, just because an ex-competitive gamer, so, like, I... I relate to a lot of the things that are going on in there. Definitely I, not the same, though. Like, I haven't gone to Japan. <laughs> um, but um, You also don't have VR gear. No. No. I enjoyed playing in a lot of, like, small tournaments when I played in them. So, like, the relationship between, like, where she is and where I'm at, like, I'm not on the same spectrum. Like, Warcross is, like, world championship level. I was nowhere near that level of gaming ever in right. my life. But, like... The idea of, like, the tournament to play in and that kind of stuff and, like, difference between being ranked and not ranked, like, that kind of stuff all sits well with me because I understand that stuff. So, like, I think it's really cool um, because of that. I also think the characters that are in the book, you're, you're getting enough information to know them but not enough to solve the mystery, which I think is keeping me at the edge of my seat, and I really yeah. like that. So far, it, I've been I've, I've been enjoying it. It's been good. It definitely has, like, a gamer element and, like, an element for non-gamers to enjoy with the mystery of, like, who Zero is and what they're doing and why. The who's done it part of it, yeah. 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 I, honestly, I, I really don't have any complaints about it so far. I think it's been a really good book. And when this I do... Definitely feels like something that you would enjoy. Well, yeah, and when I do get to sit down and actually read it, like, I... I power through the pages like, you know, I I think I read three times this week and to read the page count that I needed to read, I normally would have read like four or five times. Yeah. So, you know, I I power through it. You're definitely reading reading more in one sitting than you normally do. Yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. Obviously, next week we'll be talking about the wrap up of the book. Yes. And then we will start discussing Wild Card, which is the conclusion to the duology. I've never read Wild Card before, though. 
I've only read Warcross. Okay. So, like, this will be a completely new book to both of us for the first time ever on the podcast when we get to Wildcard. Which is going to be weird. Yeah. At least a little bit. I'm going to be like, are you sure that happened? I don't know. Yeah. A like we like we already did in just the one read through the second read through for you but yes. first read through for me on one yeah. thing already so it'll it, be interesting. It's definitely harder to discuss like the nitty gritty of books when you've only read it one or two times. Yeah, and so like that's gonna be interesting. Yeah, but I guess we'll catch you guys next week for a sports episode. I don't know why it's a question. That's exactly what's gonna happen. Okay, but we'll see you guys then. Make sure you're checking out all the social media between now and then. And we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.